As we come to kind of the, the close of this Thanksgiving weekend, a couple of things that I'm thankful for, and one is well, this church, Renew. It's a joy for me to be able to be here and to, to hear and see how God is moving in your lives and how you guys are growing in relationship with Him, and to hear things like how you are making the community of Ames just a better place to be, access, a great example of how you can really are, and are making a difference in this community. Another thing I'm thankful for is Pastor Aaron and Renee, colleagues in ministry. I consider Aaron a friend, and every couple of times a year, we switch churches. So I'm Mike, and I'm the pastor at the Ridge in Ankeny, and Aaron is there this morning. And so I come here, and a couple of times a year, we like to stay connected as churches. Here's what we're going to do with the time we have ahead of us today. I'm, I'm going to look at a passage. It's from 2 Kings chapter 14, and it's really one of the most successful kings in the history of the Bible. So when you hear that, who goes through your mind? It's not David. It's not Solomon. That's who goes through my mind too. Right? This guy's going to be a little well, less well-known. His name is Jeroboam. And if you've heard of Jeroboam, it might not be that one. There's actually two Jeroboams in the Bible. The first one is the one who comes after King Solomon. It's not that one. This is a lesser known king called Jeroboam II, who, not quite as familiar, but my hope is by the time that we're done here that you will understand who he is and what it is that God is teaching us through him. Pray with me. Well, God, thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. What a great privilege. Thank you that you want to speak to us. Thank you for preserving your word for thousands of years. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And our ask this morning is that you would help us to understand this passage in 2 Kings 14 and through it that we would hear you. You know what's happening in every one of our lives. Spirit, Help us to see you. Help us to hear from you. It's in the name of Jesus that we lift our prayer. Amen. Balloon stomp. Do you know this game? It's a game where you tie a balloon around your ankle. Like a whole bunch of people do that. And then the goal is to pop everybody else's balloon. And yours is the one that doesn't get popped. Okay, the winner is the person, the last one with an unpopped balloon. I was really bad at this game growing up. Like under aggressive. So I had an opportunity a while back to play it again. And this was an opportunity for me to erase my history of balloon stomp, shame, and defeat. Yeah. So I had some self-talk going on. I'm saying no mercy. right? Embrace the goal of stomping. So as the game began... I played with reckless abandon. I mean, I went all out, and it paid off. Because by the end of the game, for the first time in my life, I was the balloon stomp champion. And it felt good. Unfortunately, my eight-year-old daughter and her birthday party participants, <laughs> they were crushed. But somebody's got to lose. That's just the way it works. Somebody's got to lose. 
2 Kings chapter 14. I want, we're going to start the story of Jeroboam II. It begins in verse 23. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. So King Jeroboam II, he stomped out the balloons of his rivals. And history records that this guy, King Jeroboam II, was one of the most successful kings of Israel. If Israel, if they had a Mount Rushmore, this guy, even though many of us haven't heard of him, his face would likely be on it. Three marks this passage shows us about his kingdom. Duration, conquest, and prosperity. Here's the first one, verse 23, duration. He reigned 41 years. King Jeroboam reigned 41 years. That is the longest recorded reign of any of the kings of Israel. Long time. Second, conquest. Verse 25, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. So King Jeroboam II fully regained territory that had been lost to the Syrians and to the Moabites through the years. Geographically, this was Israel's most extensive kingdom ever. Then there's, there's even proof outside of the Bible of the success of King Jeroboam's politics. 1910, there was an archaeologist by the name of George Reisner who was excavating the royal palace that's in Samaria. He discovered these. They're called the Samaria Ostraca. 63 inscribed potsherds dated back to this time. King Jeroboam II and his reign. And they detail the economy, the administration of his period, indicating a well-run and a administration with a broad network of trade, which contributed to the third aspect of his reign, and that was prosperity. The biblical book of Amos, which took place at the same time as King Jeroboam II, describes the living conditions of Israel during his reign. It says this, chapter 6, verse 4 of Amos, you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fatted calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. See, 3,000 years ago, lotions, lamb, and ivory, that, that was living large. This is giving us a picture. It's saying that these people, they had nice stuff. They had wealth. They had economic prosperity. So historically speaking, this guy, King Jeroboam II, was one of Israel's most successful kings. The passage puts it this way, verse 27, And since the Lord had not said He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. God was working through the reign of King Jeroboam II to bless the Israelites. Why do we play balloon stomp with kids? Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Right? We kind of know where this is going to go. Balloon stomp, it's really a rather cutthroat game. Only one can succeed. If I win, then you lose. If you win, then I lose. See, in this balloon stomp paradigm, I must think of everyone else as competition. It is someone to overcome and someone to defeat. 
fascinating balloon stomp experiment by a guy named Robert Roberts a while back. What he did, he introduced balloon stop to a class of developmentally challenged kids. In this context, the game unfolded in a very different way. He explained it, the kids heard the instructions, they got the general concept that the balloons are supposed to be popped, but they were having a hard time popping them. So in a remarkable moment, one of the little girls, she stopped, stopped playing the game. She took a knee and she held her balloon still. Then she invited one of her peers to pop it. He did. They both smiled. And then he took a knee and he held his balloon still and invited her to pop it. And she did. And that caught on. And before you knew it, the entire class, they were all holding their balloons and helping each other stomp them. By the time the game was finished, what had happened was everybody cheered because everybody, everybody won. What happened? What happened in that experiment was this. They created an alternative way of keeping score. Instead of keeping score by those you're against, this was keeping score with. Not competitors, but rather teammates. Success for one became success for all. So here's the question. Who played the game right? Who plays that game wrong? Which is the right way to play the balloon stuff? That all depends on how the, the score is kept. How, how do we keep score? How do we keep score in life? Because how we keep score, it's going to influence how we live. How you and I, how we keep score, that's going to influence what we do. How we keep score, that's going to influence what we prioritize. So how about you? How as you look at your own life, how are you keeping the score? What's your scorecard? As a student, maybe it's grades or popularity, or making the varsity team. But then what happens, graduation comes, and those things, well, they're not all that important anymore. And the scorecard, well, it changes. And the next thing that happens, well, it's about moving up the career ladder. It's about getting more stuff. The danger can be just going along with the way that our culture keeps score and never asking the question, is this the way the score is really kept? Is this what really matters? I came across an interesting interview uh, interviewing a retiring CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He was asked the question, what's one thing that you wish you would have known when you were younger? It's a good question. Got my attention. What's one thing you wish you would have known when you were younger? The CEO's response was this. He goes, I, I wish I would have known that when you get to the top, it's empty. He said, there's nothing here. How do we play the game? How do we know if we're winning or if we're losing? 
How do we keep the score? Verse 28, as for the other events of Jeroboam's reign, all he did and his military achievements, including how he recovered for Israel, both Damascus and Hamath, which had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Israel? Historically speaking, this guy, King Jeroboam II, was one of the most successful kings of Israel ever. Three marks of his reign, one duration, he ruled Israel longer than any other king. Two, conquest, his kingdom expanded to cover more real estate than any of the other Israeli kingdoms. And three, prosperity, his economy, it was soaring. His fiscal regulations, coupled with his network of trade partners, created wealth for many in his kingdom. King Jeroboam II, this guy was a huge historical success. His name is on the, the Samaria Ostraca. But, check this out. Verse 24. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. King Jeroboam II, he was a leadership legend. But God, not all that impressed. God summarized King Jeroboam II's life in a mere nine words. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You see, God's scorecard is different. King Jeroboam II, he won great battles. And King Jeroboam II, this guy, he built strong cities. And King Jeroboam II, he accumulated vast wealth. But when his reign was over, just nine words. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That was it. Because God, God's scorecard is different. And this, this isn't... Just true with King Jeroboam II. A huge chunk of our Bibles. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. 1 Kings, 2 Kings. 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Track the activities of the kings of Israel and Judah. And the scorecard for every single one of their lives is summarized in one of two ways. They did right in the eyes of the Lord or they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's it. Why? Because God's scorecard is different. God keeps score in a different way. Point of clarification, or th this is going to, to get us into some messed up theology. The scorecard that we're talking about here in this passage, it's not the filter for getting into heaven. Paul clarifies that this way. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of any righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus our Savior. Who saves us? He saves us. We're saved through Jesus. We, we don't save us. 
Heaven is a free gift of grace. When we accept Jesus' death on the cross as a substitute for our sins, when we accept what He has done for us, eternal life, well, that is a gift. That is the gift of God. We call that grace. The scorecard in the Kings... It isn't about life after death. It's about life before death. See, God, He has you and He has me. He has us here for a reason. Am I accomplishing that? Am I winning or am I losing? Am I fulfilling my life's purpose? Well, how do we know? How do we know if we're winning? How do we know if we're losing? How do we keep score? What's on the scorecard? Well, in football, it's points. Right? In baseball, it's runs. In soccer, it's goals. In cricket, it's... Anybody? Bad example. Anybody know what it is in cricket? I don't. But it's something. The score is kept in different ways depending on what the game is. I thought that I knew how the game of balloon stomp was played. Popping everybody else's balloon. Only one can succeed. Defeat for you is success for me. Success for you is defeat for me. But what if? What if the kids in that experiment, what if they got it right? What if... There is a different way to keep score. What if there is a better way to keep score? See, that would completely change the way the game is played. Through the biblical kings, God is saying, my scorecard is different. In 2 Kings chapter 14, I hear God deconstructing the way that we tend to keep score. I hear God redefining success. See, King Jeroboam II, he topped the charts for duration and for conquest and for prosperity, but the Bible just records this. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. God is saying to us through that, it is possible to become one of the greatest kings, but still lose the game. It is possible to achieve great recognition, but still fail. It is a possibility to accomplish amazing things and still to feel empty. How about you? How are you keeping score? What's your scorecard? How do you know? Because how we define winning and how we define success, our scorecard in life, that exerts a powerful influence in our lives. Our decisions, our behaviors, our priorities, they're consciously or maybe it's subconsciously aligned with achieving a higher score on that scorecard. How are you keeping score? I'd encourage you to to just look at your own life and identify that. How am I keeping the score in my life? And be honest and ask, is my scoring system providing meaning and fulfillment? What if? What if it's not about popping everybody else's balloon? What if it's not about being the balloon stomp champion? 
What if there's a different way to keep score? What if there's a better way to keep the score? Through King Jeroboam II's life, God is saying there is. There is God's scorecard. It is different. Okay. So God's got a different scorecard. Maybe you say, well, what is it? What's important to God? How does He keep the score? What's important? What matters? Jesus is actually quite clear on this. Matthew chapter 25, He gives us a glimpse of the future. It's a picture of Jesus and He's in heaven. He's sitting on the throne and He's speaking to those who are in heaven with Him. And He commends them for something. So what does He commend them for? Because that's kind of important. What's important to Jesus? What matters to Jesus? That should get our attention. He doesn't commend them for the awards that they've won. He doesn't commend them for the number of Instagram likes they had. He doesn't commend them for the wealth that they've accumulated. Rather, it was this. Verse 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothing, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. They replied, they said, well, Jesus, when were you sick? Jesus, when were you in prison? When did we do that? Verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see that? That's a different way to keep the score. That's not about what have I achieved? What have I accomplished? What have I accumulated? That's about have I helped? Have I blessed? Have I served other people? Have I just defaulted to taking care of me, fulfilling my wants and fulfilling my desires? Or have I been so captivated by the love and the grace of God for me that my life has been about helping and blessing others? The king replied, Truly I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. See, that's a different way of keeping score. Jesus, He doesn't care if your name's on the marquee. He doesn't care if your name's on the Samaria Ostrica. God assesses our lives based on how we love and how we serve and how we add value to others. That's, that's what really matters. That's what really counts. Let me close with this. Historically speaking, just talking history here, historically speaking, this guy, King Jeroboam II, was one of Israel's most successful kings, but not God's. How about you? How do you keep score? How do you define a successful life? How do you define a successful week? How do you define a successful day? Jesus says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus asks us, Jesus encourages us, 
to define that by saying, have I loved anyone today? Who have I served today? Who have I blessed today? Who have I added value to today? Who outside of myself and my own family have I noticed and helped today? What if, what if the kids in that experiment were right? What if there's a different way to keep score? What if there's a better way to keep the score? That would completely change the way the game is played. Pray with me.